Your Stories is proudly supported by Simplecast. Simplecast makes podcasting easy, affordable, and downright friendly. Use the promo code CHICAGO to get 50% off your first three months. Find out more at Simplecast.com. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnault and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. Today we've got part two of our sixth annual birthday celebration from the main stage at the Beat Kitchen, featuring some favorite storytellers chosen by you in part from 2017, back with new pieces, including Jen Ducharme, Leah Marshall, Andrew Friedman, who came all the way from Minneapolis to do this by the way, and Andrew Bentley, plus a special guest musical performance from Sasha Rorett with the band, which includes the usual suspects of myself, Dwight Hassler, and Katie Johnston-Smith, plus drummer Jeff LaRoe joining us on stage to make a full band for, like, only the third time ever on this show. This is a really packed episode, man. Enjoy the heck out of it. So, the holidays are pretty well behind us now, uh, so it's probably time to get back into the swing of things. So, as I mentioned in the live part of this episode, your stories is in for a pretty big change in 2018. As Roger Daltrey once said, we're going mobile. We're changing our model to be one of monthly pop-up shows in different venues because those are always really fun and exciting and kind of energize the place in a way that we maybe don't do when we have a stationary venue. So the first one of those is in a little less than two weeks on Sunday, January 21st at 826 Shy in Wicker Park, and we'll be running it as a fundraiser for this excellent organization. Now, if you're not familiar, definitely check out 826shy.org and get inspired. I will be posting more details on this show later today on our website and Facebook page, but it's going to be a really good one, so get excited. And if you want to make sure to see where we're going every month, you can even actually just subscribe to our events on Facebook to get notifications when we make a new one. That's the simplest way, because the algorithm is screwy sometimes. So as always, thanks for listening. Um, I think 2018 is going to be a really good year for us. Let's kick it off right. So one thing that we did a lot of this year was we had a lot of guest musicians come and perform with us, and one of those is going to do a song with us tonight. Please welcome to the stage the very accomplished and talented and great Sasha Rorick. 
by Janelle Monet. And this one, she's amazing. And two, I feel like when I was thinking about the annual theme, I was like, well, this was like a shitstorm of a year. And I feel like Cold War just pretty much encompasses my feelings as a person of color and a woman and, you know, lots of things this year. Kind of like many of us kind of feel like this year's been a Cold War. Beat decent people against depravity. So, yeah. That's the song. Term uh, like cultural Cold War for the first time ever, like oh. a week ago. I thought that was pretty interesting. Very fitting. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you're all like a little bit smart, just a little. I don't want to give myself that much credit. That's a good term. <laughs>
Wow. That was off Sasha. Damn. That was really fucking good. Yeah, Sasha running. Wow. All right. I barely even know what to say about that. So let's get to some more stories. Guys, we have a really excellent second half for you, starting with another podcaster. Boy, I'm realizing a lot of people have podcasts. Isn't that weird? Millennials, am I right? Um, no, so this woman hosts an advice podcast. She actually just recorded two live episodes before she came here, so really busy day for her. Uh, so this is really funny. Every year we do like year-end nominations, uh, which is how people are here, and we have like a form on the website you can submit, and someone uh, submitted this, this person's story by saying, Oh, I get all of my advice from her, so you should put her on your show. And I'm like, all right, that's a good enough reason. Please welcome Jen Dushar. Okay, um, I know this is an event for Nylon Magazine. For tastemakers of the year, sometimes we get names wrong. <laughs> I know um, Ginger Shark's one of the ones featured here, but kind of screw her. <laughs> I'm just Manafort, <laughs> and I am a filmmaker supreme. <laughs> and I get that we're all artists from other different places in life, so we don't all know who everybody is. So I'm literally just going to recite from my MDB Pro page. My MDB Pro page. So I was born in beautiful, safe, white Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> to my father, Paul Manafort. Um, great guy. All around, get her done. Um, lawyer, and my mom, who's a housewife, her name doesn't matter, um, it means so much to me whenever my work is recognized because I identified as a filmmaker before I identified as a woman. <laughs> I was given a film camera at the age of three. <laughs> and this was in 1980. <laughs> so the, the camera was so heavy, I could only film the ground. <laughs> but it was very... Artisanal, so artisanal <laughs> that um, the great Martin Scorsese wrote a letter of recommendation for me. Check my IMDb Pro page, <laughs> it's all there. He wrote a letter of recommendation for me for New York University Tisch School of Arts Film School. Tastemaker. Since I was three. <laughs> and so I went. Because <laughs> my parents could pay the whole tuition. And I had such a great time, I can't even tell you a specific story from that time of my life. But I can say that my senior thesis was fantastic. My favorite favorite filmmaker, Richard Linklater. 
I don't know if you've heard of a literal, literal film called uh, Dazed and Confused. Check my pro page. I literally wrote a film called Remember the Days in tribute to my mentor, who doesn't want to meet me. But it's like Dazed and Confused, but imagine all of the scene breaks and the act exchanges cut apart by lens steal my sunshine <laughs> um, it was a great movie you can tell because Brie Larson and Lisa Meester was in it um, it was the most expensive uh, thesis film that was made and a lot of people say Jess how did you raise all of that money and I'm like, I have a lot of friends. My father has a lot of friends. Or what we say in our household, the Brazil. That's Russian. A lot of Russian friends. Um, sorry, I get a little nervous because my head's bigger than my body. Um, so a lot of people were incredibly jealous about it, and I understand. Uh, a lot of people said that the movie didn't make money, but it did. It made $2,000, <laughs> which is more than zero. So, <laughs> bloop, in the black. That's what I like to say, I'm positive. So then I did um, one commercial and then three short films over the next seven years. As you can see on my IMDb Pro page, check my IMDb um, And I know we're all here celebrating tonight the amazing short that I did for Funny or Die with Samuel Jackson. And I, check my page. Um, and they're like, how did you get those big name actors? And I was like, if you are willing to put up the money for good talent, you will get good talent. Am I right, people? Artists shouldn't work for free. And then people say, no, really, where did you get the money to hire these people? And I say, well, I have a partnership with my father, and it's very successful. So we have the money to finance great art such as Remember the Days, literally spelled D-A-Z-E. <laughs> and um, my sister, who uh, should be fine on her own, but she's obviously very jealous, uh, she sent me a series of texts of, you are a stupid idiot. You're given blood money. That's blood money. That's money that your father has taken from other people and killed other people for. <laughs> You are laundering money for our father, you stupid retard. And I'm just like, don't say that, because what if your text gets subpoenaed? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke on now, right? Am I right? Um, and so, you know, us Manaforts, we're very smart. We have it going on, and we're going to come out of this, and scandal means nothing. Obviously, if I am snatching trophies, I'm doing just fine, and there are FBI agents surrounding the area. So, this has been a great year. Um, thank you so much uh, for finally acknowledging me as a tastemaker. Thank you. Nylon Magazine. Thank you.
Thank you, not Jen Ducharme. I'm so sorry, Ms. Manafort. What if I said Samuel L. Jackson was next? Because she hooked this up. That's not true, though. We better, better than Sam Jackson. So this woman coming up to the stage now, this is only her second time at your stage, which is pretty incredible. That was the case with Savannah, too, where, like, first time they come, oh, and their story gets on the best of. That's pretty... Pretty fucking rad. So, this woman came for our Halloween show a couple months ago, uh, told a story about being ghosted, but not like the literal ghost kind, like the boyfriend ghost kind. That's equally as scary. And uh, she's a, a friend of ours, from, we met at Soho House, and uh, works in marketing, and is an incredible storyteller. Can't wait to hear from Ms. Leah Marshall. Chris's son, Benji, would not go to sleep. The family had just returned from their first trip to Florida, and Benji had left his beloved stuffed giraffe behind at the resort. And there was no going to sleep without Joshy the giraffe. And so Chris was facing a massive dilemma, how to get his son to finally go to bed. And so he thought about it for a moment, and he decided to do what any stand-up father would do, blatantly lie. <laughs> and so he told his son that the day before they were supposed to leave uh, to head back home, Joshi the giraffe had approached him and said he needed just one more day at the resort <laughs> to soak up the beautiful Florida sunshine, relax poolside, and have shots of the most delectable, fresh-squeezed wheatgrass shots he'd ever tried in his life. Of course, Benji bought it, why wouldn't he? And eventually went to bed. But now, Chris was faced with an even bigger predicament. Somehow, Joshy the giraffe would need to get back home. And so he picked up the phone, called the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, and got bounced from staffer to staffer until finally he was connected with someone who miraculously had found Joshy the giraffe. Chris, of course, was elated, and he paused before making this completely unreasonable request. He explained the white lie that he had told his son, and he asked if the staffer might be able to take the giraffe over to the pool place him on one of the chaise lounge chairs, and snap a picture so that when his son asked questions, which he inevitably would, he would have evidence. And of course, it's the Ritz-Carlton, the customer's always right, so he said yes. And Chris almost forgot about the moment until a few days later, a package arrived from the Ritz. He called his son Benji over to open the package, Joshy the giraffe had made the trip from Florida all the way back home in FedEx, completely unscathed. But tucked away in his fuzzy little paws was a photo book. And it took Chris's breath away as he opened the book and leafed through the pictures. On page one was a picture of Joshy the giraffe on a golf cart, steering wheel in hand, cruising over the Ritz-Carlton property. The next page was Joshy the giraffe, face down, on a massage table, his rear end tastefully covered with a fluffy white towel, getting a massage. The next page was Joshy the giraffe making friends with Carlton, the hotel parrot. The following page was him lying back, 
with delicately cut cucumber slices covering his beady brown button eyes, getting a facial. And my personal favorite, Joshy the giraffe in the hotel control room, making friends with the security guard. So this story is just one of many in one of my favorite books that I read this year called The Power of Moments. And the premise of the book is simple. Our lives, obviously, are made up of moments. And unfortunately, the majority of those moments are very average, very predict uh, predictable, and very unremarkable. And what this book does is it showcases dozens of stories like the one that I just shared that aren't that, that are magical, that are remarkable, and that are entirely memorable. And the book also gives the reader a template for how to create moments like this in their own lives. And I love the story of Joshi the giraffe because when I, was, when I was reading it, I tried to put myself in the staffer's shoes and think what I would do. And I would absolutely have just followed the protocol. Lost giraffe, stuff him in a box, ship him off. And I imagine if I asked any of you in the audience, you all would do the same. And it made me so curious, what was it that inspired the staffer to break the script? And you'll have to read the book to get the full picture, um, but one of the things that struck me is a lot of what allows for it is very similar to what happens when you go to the gym and you start training a certain muscle. At first, it's uncomfortable, it's a little challenging, but after you keep doing it and repeating it, it gets a lot easier. It's like a muscle that you train, that creative courage. Another story from the book that I loved is that of Southwest Airlines. So John and Jamie Anderson were newlyweds, headed off to the Bahamas for their honeymoon. They boarded their Southwest Airlines flight, got settled into their seats, and thought it would be a flight like any other, until the flight attendant came on over the loudspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to introduce you to John and Jamie Anderson, newlyweds who will be joining us today, going on their honeymoon and starting the next chapter of their lives together. We at Southwest Airlines would love to give them a special gift, but we need each and every one of your help to do so. Shortly, we'll be passing out cocktail napkins, and we're asking that each of you write some word of wisdom, marital advice, or congratulations and encouragement for the newlywed couple. And what ensued was pure magic. People who've been wrapped up in their devices or doing work on their laptops turned to one another, started sharing stories, laughing, and connecting. And John and Jamie ended up getting over 150 uh, uh, handwritten notes on cocktail napkins with advice from parents, new couples, grandparents, and even little kids who didn't yet know how to write but were damn good at drawing cute pictures. <laughs> and I love this story because it costs no money to do this. It maybe took 30 seconds of time, and yet it took what would have been a completely forgettable moment and turned it into something magical, not just for John and Jamie, but for the people on the plane as well.
And I'm going to close with what for me was the most powerful story from the book, which is that of Doug Dietz. So Doug was a senior designer with GE Healthcare who just spent the past few years of his career working on redesigning MRI machines. And he had finally finished his product and was gonna fly out to a hospital to see the unveiling of the machines. He gets there and is walking down the hallway to the MRI scan room when suddenly he sees a young patient and her mom walking down the hall. And the patient was not happy. Tears were streaming down her face and she looked terrified. So much so that the doctor who was with them called for the anesthesiologist. And as you can imagine, this was heart-wrenching for Doug. This was the machine that he had just worked on for the past few years, and to see this reaction from the very people that he was trying to serve was gut-wrenching. In that moment, Doug could have easily dismissed the response from the young girl, saying, she's just a kid, of course she's scared, but instead, he got creative and he started collaborating with members of his team to design a series of MRI machines just for kids that put the patient in the leading role of an epic adventure story. And one of those designs was pirate-themed. And so the patient would enter the room and it was filled with ocean-themed decals on the walls and pirate-themed decals on the machine and there was a massive wooden captain's wheel at the very front of the MRI machine. And they had given the MRI technicians a script that made the experience much more like a ride at Disney World than a traditional hospital experience. The patient would go through the machine and the whole experience culminated in front of a massive wooden treasure chest. The patient got to open the treasure chest and select a toy to take home with them. So obviously this was game changing for the hospital. They were saving hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in shorter exam terms and in less drugs and medication like sedation for the young patients. And the culminating moment for Doug was when he came back to the hospital and saw a patient who'd just gone through the pirate MRI experience and she tugged on her mom's sleeve and looked up at her mom and said, mommy, can we come back and do the ride again tomorrow? <laughs> so after reading this book, I looked back on my 2017 and I saw so many moments that initially I thought of as problems. Now after reading this book, I see more as opportunities to create magic. One of my favorite lines from the book is, so often we seek certainty because it's comfortable, but if the magic is in the moments that are unpredictable, that's what makes us come alive. And so drawing inspiration from the stories of Joshi the Giraffe and Southwest Airlines and Doug Dietz, I'm really looking forward to breaking the mold in 2018 and trying to find magic in moments where initially I see problems and I hope all of you are as well. Thank you. Leah Marshall, everybody, thank you so much. That's great advice. I hope you all do that.
write me some shit on those cocktail napkins out there. I dare you. Make it a special moment. Come on, guys. Ah, so we have two more storytellers tonight. I'm very, very happy. So one of the things that this show did this year was went on tour because I quit my job. And I'm like, you know what? I've always wanted to do that, so I'm going to do it. And, uh, and I did. And so we did like a seven or eight show tour across the western United States. And I'm very happy to have someone representing that tour here tonight from the Minneapolis show, which literally, this is not exaggeration, no one but myself and the other performers went to because we were scheduled for a bar. It was happy hour. Then they double booked us with a band, so they moved us to their upstairs private room, which was also in another building. So, yeah, there was nobody there but us. And yet, the quality of the story was so good that listeners at home were like, oh, you gotta get this guy. And then he fucking came from Minneapolis to do the show. So please, oh, also you might recognize his last name because, you know, he's the brother of someone who sang up on this stage for about five years. Please welcome Andrew Friedman. Hello, I am Andrew Friedman. Um, I'm from Minneapolis. Thank you. Thanks to uh, Eric and also Beat Kitchen for having us. Um, sure, yeah. I, uh, uh, I am uh, 22. I recently graduated college. And um, I was thinking about, the, the theme is annual. I was thinking about uh, what story kind of fit that best. And I, I had a couple of stories in mind, and one that I've told a lot, and another one that just kind of came to me. I told my friend both of them, and he was like, the second one. So I'm going to have my phone out because I don't know it at all. Uh, but that's going to have to be fine. So basically I thought, um, what is, of the, of the years that I spent in school, because every, every year that I've spent so far in my life has been in school, which of those years was the most um, reflective of who I am today? And I think uh, the year that I settled on was seventh grade. And it wasn't necessarily because of the narrative, but rather the people who influenced me, the teachers that I had. And everyone in, uh, everyone in my seventh grade class had the same three teachers for science, uh, communications, and history. And the science teacher was Mr. Z. And Mr. Z was like the cool guy. Like, he seemed like he had a bunch of hobbies, and then he ran out of money and had to start showing kids Gattaca for cash. Like, he was, like, we all loved him, but he was just kind of like, hey kids, you know when wolves howl, it's because they're signaling, and we're like, we're all going to be doctors! And you'll be King Doctor Mr. Z, and he says, please, King Doctor Mr. Z is my father, just call me Mr. Z. He was our science teacher, and we, re we really liked him. Um, and then we had a communications teacher, Mrs. R. And Mrs. R was kind of like the, she was the teacher who was a bit tough on you, and then a month into the year, you got smarter, and then she was nicer to you, and you were like, we've learned so much. Uh, so we all, we all really liked her. But one time, I remember, she came into our class, and she was screaming laughing. She wouldn't, literally 30 minutes of the class, she was laughing. And we were like, what's going on? And she said, Jimmy cracked corn, and I don't care. How's that a song? <laughs> we're like, all right, yeah, that's pretty funny. Oh, she's drunk. <laughs> she had to be drunk. It's fine, kind of. Uh, but we all, we all loved her regardless. But now I'd like to get to the crux of the story. Uh, Mr. Smith. Uh, that is a fake name because it needs to be. Um, we all thought at the time this is the best teacher we've ever had. Looking back on it, we were wrong. Uh, he, I think, the, as I wrote down, the least distracting thing about him was his American flag tie. He is the most divorced man I have ever met. 
he he was married, but that's not what I mean. Like you just he <laughs> day one I knew three things about him because he shouted all three. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I am a devout Christian, and I am your history teacher for this extremely formative year of your life. Those who do not, do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it, and God bless America, you're going to learn some history, ladies and gentlemen. We did not. I tried to invade Russia from the east that year. I failed. I, from what I can remember of the class, I think there were only three units. The British, the Germans, and Abbott and Costello. I know. I thought it was going to be four units, too, but it turns out the Germans and Abbott is a comedy duo. He was a character, is what I'm saying. He was the dead horse of rugged individualism. So I have three stories about uh, Mr. Smith, as I call him. Um, the three stories, uh, I would like to say I neither endorse nor support his actions, uh, but they happen nonetheless. The first is, it was one of the first days of, uh, of class, and I saw there was a picture of him with a woman on his desk. Um, uh, there was just a picture of him with this woman, so I went up and I asked about her, and he said, oh, this is my Asian wife. And I was like, was he, try was he trying to impress us? Why did he, why did he spend, I was like, you could have just said that was your wife. Either, either he was really weirdly proud of that, like a bit too weirdly proud of it, or he has another wife. <laughs> Maybe a couple. I think it's both things. I think he's just... I think he read Heart of Darkness and read it the wrong way. I think... Someone was like, after he read it, they're like, read Things Fall Apart too," And he was like, I don't need to. He... Oh, boy. I should have said Mr. Conrad. No, he, uh... He, uh... So, the, the, another story about him. As mentioned before, it's some... So, he, he did end up getting divorced because this happened. Uh, he one day... He let us out a minute early and said, Get out of here, I got a date, and I don't know where we should go. Also, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Andrew, no John's in class. Stay after a bit longer. They all leave us, but, but and then he says, Hey guys, I, I got a date, and um, I don't know where we should go. Uh, no. Yes. Uh, as 12-year-olds, we all know the cool spot. Mark says, a restaurant, and he says, Perfect, that's all he needed. Thanks for the help, guys. Here's one Mountain Dew for the four of you, because I don't know how liquid works. <laughs> so then the third story, this one is, is really like, he should have gotten, this is why I need to use the fake name, because he should have gotten fired for this. This was not, he's not a good guy. He, uh, basically, we were, we were a really rowdy, um, we were a really rowdy group of seventh graders, and he, um, him and the other teachers all pulled us in this lecture hall one day, and they said, hey, guys, you gotta calm the fuck down, because it's impossible to teach you, because you're being so loud during classes. There'd be like 20 minutes, and then we all start shouting, and they'd have to quiet us down, because we were 12, and we didn't know what was happening. So, they bring us in the lecture hall, they kind of ream us out, and we're like, all right, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll calm down. Um, and then, so the whole time that was happening, it was Mr. Z and Mrs. R at the front, kind of lecturing us, and Mr. Mr. Smith is standing back here, but he's just kind of crossing his arms, and he looks angry too. Clearly, they're taking the lead on this, and he doesn't know what the hell's going on. Uh, but then, right as they're about to say, like, hey, you, you guys can go now. Just get back to class and try to be better. Mr. S., Mr. Smith says, now hold on just a second, which is a great sign. And he, uh, 
He says, I went to the bank the other day. Perfect start for this kind of guy. I went to the bank the other day, and I tried to trade in a $5 bill for $5. What? Why do you go to the bank for that? Maybe, the thing is, I believe that if anyone did, he did that. This is real, he said this. That was how he came up with this. That's how he led it into this story. Clearly, he didn't do that, but oh my God. He said, I went to the bank the other day to try to trade in $5 for $5 bills. They gave me those new dollar coins that were coming out at the time. It was seventh grade, 2000, I don't care. Uh, and he, he says, and I threw them back in their face. You know why? Because those coins didn't say, in God we trust. <laughs> this is a public high school. And okay, so ba I was, here are a couple things where, here's where I was at in life. I was a soprano at this point in my life. And yet I was hearing a man say that coins needed to say, in God we trust. As a collective, we were not yet smart enough to understand the concept of personification. And yet this man had the audacity to say he threw coins at a teller who for some reason was obligated to say, in God we trust on coins. I was not three years removed from thinking it was an accomplishment to know how to spell the word congratulations. This guy, right, right when that lecture was done, I saw a kid go up to him and just point at the rim of the coin and be like, the rim says in God we trust. <laughs> if you just spin it around, those are letters. And he was like, I was just messing around. <laughs> so the reason I tell this story and all those stories is because uh, I think that it's, it's good to remember that the people who have taught you throughout your life have in some way influenced you. I think that Mr. Z has in the sense that sometimes I don't work hard enough in my hobbies and I'm worried about the existential future of not liking the job that I have when I'm 45. Whatever. Uh, sometimes maybe I drink when I shouldn't. That's a little bit true. I think I fixed that. And then, uh, and then of course, there are darker parts of me that I refuse to admit exists. And uh, maybe one day I'll wear an American flag tied to schools. All right. Thank you guys very much. Andrew Friedman, thank you so much for making the drive. That was so fucking cool. I don't know if it's just because, like... That's when most of our like hormones start to develop, but I also feel like my seventh grade teachers were like a particularly memorable set, maybe just because that's the year I was like paying attention in weird new ways. But like our health teacher was uh, was later like fired for being a pervert, which is cool. I remember like he when he was teaching us sex ed, and again this is the kind of thing where like I don't condone this action, but this is true. He like one of his sex ed lessons was he put a bunch of like sexual items in like a box with a cloth over it and then you had to reach in and pull one out and then say what it was and it was like loose condoms and shit like that it's like yeah so he definitely got fired uh cool all right this still works yeah this is good all right great so oh, it's kind of in and out there we go so we have one more storyteller tonight this dude has been around since the very beginning yeah that's why he's closing Oh, some people already know who it is. Yeah, he yeah, shares yeah. a first name with the gentleman who was just on the stage. I don't know what introduction I can give that you don't already know, but I mean, for a point of reference, you can see him at Paper Machete a lot, which is really a fucking cool thing. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Andrew Bentley! Also, I just want to say, if this, so if this is the, the sixth anniversary of the show, what that means is uh, this is like the sixth and, and two-month anniversary of me meeting Eric and Dwight for the very first time, because the very first time I met them was at, I think, possibly the first uh, Your Stories you guys were even at. It was, it was up top of a fizz bar for, like, Halloween, yeah. and I guess Kevin or someone had invited you, 
And I was like, oh, who are these guys? Because like, <laughs> like, music wasn't really a thing that we did there before. I was like, oh, they're going to play songs? I was like, well, that doesn't have to do with anything. And then, um, and then Dwight sang uh, Kissed by a Rose. And I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm a fan now. <laughs> but anyway, thank you guys for everything. From the ages of 8 to 13, uh, I went to school with a Mormon kid named Jordan. Uh, he was the only Mormon in my classes, thrown far afield from the, the temperate enclaves of Utah by his dad's government job and deposited in the peculiar cul-de-sac called the Beltway, an esoteric little anomaly of civic planning best defined by the vague but enduring ember of resentment that New York gets all the attention on 9-11. Uh, there, were, there were four planes, people. Where's the... Where's the movie where Robert Pattinson gets annihilated at the Pentagon while working for the State Department? <laughs> I, I talk about the Beltway a lot. I have a strange fascination with it, not entirely unlike an Innsmouth emigrant, but uh, more on that later. Suffice to say, it's, it's an unsettling knothole on the Mason-Dixon line through which strange, extra-dimensional porkies watch America shower. Question for the audience. Well, who's actually seen porkies? If I can get, like, a show of hands. All right, so... I wrote that assuming the Porkies are like the actual, like the sex-starved kids. Is that correct? Do they call themselves Porkies? No, it's the club. It's, yeah, it's the club. club. Oh, okay. Yeah, club club. I assume it was like the Goonies. I haven't actually seen it. Very close. Anyway, back to Jordan the Mormon. Uh, he was my first Mormon, something I like to think we all remember. Uh, he, uh, he seemed almost exotic at the time, like a member of some Eyes wide shut style secret society and not just like an off brand Baptist. <laughs> we, we met in third grade uh, when we both tested into the gifted and talented program and moved to a different school. Uh, the eponymous gift was presumably that we no longer had to take gym classes with the kids who could actually do a push-up. Uh, and the talent varied from student to student, but was usually some idiosyncratic twist on being an insufferable little shit. Uh, my, my friend Connor had a, a preternatural gift for, uh, you know, like geometric thinking, and he grew up to be uh, a civil engineer. Um, I could look at you like an asshole if you thought that Bellerophon was the first person to uh, fly Pegasus, and um, here I am. <laughs> Jordan was good at, at math or something. I don't know, he's a, he's a software developer now. His life is over. Uh, but his real talent was Mormonism. Uh, none of us knew the rules of being a Mormon, so it was carte blanche for him to like make shit up or, or pull the rug out from underneath us. Uh, he, he was like, uh, he was like Goku or something, like late in Dragon Ball Z. It was like the 183rd episode of fourth grade. He'd be like, also I can do telepathy. And we're like, what? Mormons have that power too? That's crazy. Uh, his favorite superpower was weaseling out of bets. Uh, he would make the bets, sure. But then if he turned out to be wrong, he'd cross his arms and tilt his head and smile the smile of someone who's taken a secret shit that no one will ever find uh, and say, Mormons don't gamble. Uh, and, and that was that. Uh, I, I'd like to say he only got me with the Mormons don't gamble thing once, but 
Uh, I was in elementary school, and the, the part of my brain that would become my long-term memory was busy remembering the names of characters in Dragons of Autumn Twilight and trying to figure out the exact difference between humping and dry humping. <laughs> I mean, like, like moisture, presumably, but the confusion went up because I also thought humping was like the same thing as this doggy style. I thought it was just doggy style, which I also thought meant anal sex. But anyway. And I assumed it had to be that way because at this point I thought that the, the female genitals were just like on the front of the body. Yeah, like, a little, like a little beltway, like a little circle. Um, anyway, gifted and talented. Um, meanwhile, the normal kids were already like bored of sex. They were like having like role play and bondage, like slice things up. Um, but anyway, to my memory, none of us ever called Jordan out on the fact that making bets was still gambling, uh, even if you welched on them. Uh, we just begrudgingly acknowledged his immunity to that particular pitfall, like he'd drawn the Mormon card in some barrel-scraping expansion for Settlers of Catan. Uh, so, anyway, forget about Jordan. I, Jordan, I'm, I'm done talking about Mormons. This actually has all been an exceedingly long build-up to the, the second half, what I really want to talk about, um, because... I read too much uh, Stephen King and Michael Crichton as a kid, um, and I think that good, good writing is when you know a character's entire backstory and their favorite song before a goblin eats their face, or whatever. <laughs> what I really want to talk about is gambling. Uh, perhaps partially thanks to Jordan, I have always been averse to gambling. Uh, not merely literal games of chance, but really any activity with a significant margin or consequence of failure, like skydiving or applying for jobs that I actually want. Uh, most people would have, would, you know, would have just rolled the dice on an acting degree, but not me. Uh, I, I was cunningly very careful to have insurance in the form of a sociology degree as well. So, uh, if anyone out there works at an, uh, an HR for a um, sociology firm, uh, call, I guess. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as I found out in the last 30 years, gambling is part of life. Uh, every time you make a concrete decision, you are, in fact, uh, wagering that it will be the correct one. And at best, you're always playing the odds. Critical thinking and research eventually just boils down to the equivalent of, of memorizing those blackjack tables on the statistically advantageous times to, uh, to hit or stay or double down. Uh, you can't even avoid it by doing nothing. Uh, oftentimes, that's more of a gamble. Uh, sometimes, these wagers pay off. Uh, for instance, um, I got engaged this summer. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and so it appears I was correct, and I will never have to learn to actually dance properly. Um, other bets, like say that I could ignore Twitter and it would just go away, have turned out less well. Uh, um, the uh, some some wagers remain frustratingly quantum. Um, like even like I I wrote off the idea of riding a bike uh, when I was about eleven. Uh, and so far, that's been totally fine. Like, I, I walk places, uh, I've never had to rescue any magical aliens from the FBI, uh, but that, that could all change tomorrow. I could be running through the forest from wolves and bump into a divvy station and be like, man, bad call. But there's one wager in particular uh, that seemed to pay off this year in particular. Uh, it's previously subtly alluded to, I grew up outside of D.C. Uh, I have many relatives in the area, and resultingly, I have a number of political connections. Unfortunately, 
they're all on the wrong side. Uh, for example, and this ended up being weirdly relevant tonight, um, my mom is Kathleen Manafort's old roommate. Um, my, my parents used to double date with her and her future husband, the lobbyist turned man in the iron mask, Paul Manafort. Um, we still get a Christmas card from the Manafort's every year, although presumably this year, instead of like a How Is Our Family newsletter, it'll just be like a Breitbart article staying on side. Um, my, my aunt is Anne Stone, um, and your story's dramaturg you may remember that a few years ago, uh, she got me into the RNC uh, meeting in Chicago so that I could be smug and shitty about it. Um, but her ex-husband is Roger Stone, another quick audience poll. Who here knows who Roger Stone is? Yeah. Um, if you don't know, I recommend the Netflix documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, not the least which because my mom makes an appearance in it, uh, in the background of his wedding photos, his bridesmaid. Um, but anyway, all of this is to say that if I had wanted it, uh, the apparatus and stepladder for a lucrative career in Washington, D.C. was there. But it was very contingent on membership in a certain party, one that I rejected. As I went through college, and particularly as I struck out on my own and moved to Chicago, I moved violently away from it into the opposition. Uh, I didn't make a conscious decision to do so. I'm not overly fond of the Democratic Party either, to be honest. They're not hardly a, a compelling force, but my views on Morality and justice and on basic human decency fell more and more as the years went by on one end of the spectrum. Um, so now, those bridges are burnt. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Paul Manafort is going to be doing any political favors for me anytime soon. Uh, Nixonian sex gremlin Roger Stone is crowdfunding his own legal defense. Uh, my aunt, I'm currently embroiled in an argument with on Facebook. I'm trying to convince her to bring her friend, Edget Pie, uh, to Christmas Eve dinner. Um, and she's not going to because I already uh, said someone should slam his head in the car door. Uh, uh, so... Yeah, so dinner on the 24th should be interesting. I, I, I didn't go home for Christmas last year, so several of my relatives I haven't seen in person since the 2016 election. Uh, I may never be able to see them the same way again. And in years past, as I've stressed over bills and failed careers and lost opportunities, I have, I'll admit, uh, thought bitterly on the, the comfortable life I could be living uh, if I'd made just a, a few compromises. But uh, I made a wager that I could have my cake and eat it too. Uh, retain my uh, principles and still carve out a life with all the things uh, that I want. And in retrospect, the stakes were much higher than I normally like. I, I didn't make the easy bet. I, I hit on 19. And uh, when you hit on 19, the odds aren't that good. Um, but to, to, to painfully extend the metaphor a couple sentences more, uh, the dealer is slow. And it'll be a long time before I know that I'm bust. I might not win, but as I said, I got engaged this year uh, to a woman I met here in Chicago, online, and not in some lobbying firm or Capitol Hill cloakroom, um, to a woman who didn't care no matter how embarrassed I was. I took her to the zoo for a date because I had $20 in my bank account. Uh, so while the whims of Lady Luck are capricious, uh, I know one thing, and I know it for sure. That is, winning is not everything. Thank you.
months to Andrew. Wouldn't it be funny if we played Kiss from a Rose right now? We're not gonna though, but we do have one more song. Can we get the band back up here? Katie, why did you yell do it? You would also have to do it. I did not yell do it. Sasha did. Oh, Sasha. Can we see a show of hands of anybody who's had a fight with their aunt on the internet this year? You're not alone, Andrew. We know Katie has. Our aunts aren't as influential as yours. Has anyone's aunt told them that uh, racism is not a systemic issue in this country? Everyone's aunt has said that. So, this last song was Dwight's choice, and uh, Dwight was like, does this song count? It's on a soundtrack that came out this year, and I'm like, soundtracks are albums. This one, I looked it up, this was number 43 on the Billboard Top 200. None of the other songs we played came from albums that charted at all. Uh, does anyone know what number one was? I do because we talked about it earlier. It was Kendrick Lamar. None of us are cool. All right. Uh, number 11 was the Trolls soundtrack. This is not from the Trolls soundtrack. This is a song Dwight and I used to play in the band that Kevin asked to go host your stories. And then the drummer and guitar player were like, fuck no, we want to get paid. And me and Dwight were like, whatever. And now here we are. Uh, it's from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. One. Oh, wait. You hate one. Yeah, 
This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.